upstairs for the remainder of our time together here. We are in Exodus chapter 3 today. If you're using a pew Bible, it's going to be page 46 that you can read along with us today. As you're turning there, let me just uh, reaffirm something Pastor Stephen mentioned earlier. Next week, uh, we are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving together. And so I hope that you can come and join us for that. We will, we will have a number of you, several of you will be sharing in our service, uh, declaring God's, declaring your gratefulness for God's faithfulness to you. And so it's a service that we have, have done a number of years and, and I know we all look forward to it, to hearing about the ways that God is at work in the lives of the people of our church. So I hope that you'll come back for that service next Sunday morning and that you will plan to stay for lunch, for our Thanksgiving lunch together following the service, turkey and all of the trimmings. I hope that you'll plan to come back and to be a part of that next Sunday. Today, we are continuing on in our series in Acts. We have come to Acts chapter 3 Last week we looked at it a little bit. We, we, have, we have seen already that there's this, this grand scheme, this grand idea in the story of Exodus. There's this conflict and resolution idea going back and forth. We've been talking about that. And there's this, this conflict. It looks like the conflict is going to be between Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians, and between Pharaoh and Moses, the one who, who was as a baby put into the basket and floated out into the Nile River, the one who was, who was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, the, the one who was trained in, in Pharaoh's court. It looks like there's going to be this battle between the one that God has, has sovereignly sovereignly orchestrated to lead the Israelites, Moses, and the one who is in charge of the greatest people group in the time, Pharaoh. There's this battle that's going to go on between those two. And I've told you a couple of times, and, and I think we all know it, the battle really is not between Pharaoh and Moses. Instead, this is all about God. All of Exodus is about God. It's not about Pharaoh. It's not about Moses. It's all about God. And we've seen that in a couple of places. But, but the, the verses that I go back to all the time are at the end of chapter 2. If you're using uh, your Bible there, just look back a little bit in chapter 2. It says in cha- at the end of chapter 2, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. In verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people, and God knew. That's what Exodus is about. God remembered his covenant. God saw the people, and God knew. And God knew. And as you then flip to chapter 3, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, you flip to chapter 3 and and 40 years goes by. 40 years goes by before the baby that was placed into the basket uh, tries to to rescue some of of the Israelites. And then another 40 years goes by because because. Moses ran from Egypt and hid out in Midian and fleed away because Pharaoh was, was after him and looking for his life. 80 years has gone by since this baby was placed in the basket before, since the rescuer, since the rescuer was born. 80 years has gone by. And I said last week, it's not just 80 years, it's 400 years have gone by. 400 years. The Hebrew people, the Israelites have been crying out 
For 400 years, they have groaned because of their slavery. They have cried out for help. They have begged for rescue for 400 years. And last week I said, why? Why do we continue to look? Why do we continue to plead? Why do we continue to pray Why do we continue to groan about our slavery to a God who has heard those prayers for 400 years? And God begins to show us, I think, in chapter 3. Let's read together. In Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Some of what we read last week, but I'd like us to see it again in its context. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Israelites oppress, or the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt, give this people favor, and this get, will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, and after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in the house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 3, I think we begin to see the answer of how can we cry out? How can we plead over and over? How can we cry out over and over and over for 400 years? How can we do that? Because last week we saw, and here in Exodus chapter 3, we see that we have an unrivaled God. We have a God who is unique. We have a God who, who is like no other There is no other like our God. There is no one who does what our God does. We have a bush that's on fire and is not being consumed, and Moses sees it and knows that it's unique, knows that it's unusual, stops, in fact, to see it. And as he stops to see it, we see that we not only have an unrivaled and unique God, but we have a personal God as he calls to Moses by name. Moses, Moses the Lord cries out. We have a personal God and we have an unrivaled God and we have a holy God. We have a God who is is set apart and perfect in all his ways so much so that he announces to Moses, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. I am sacred. I am different than everyone else. He's also a living God. I am the God, he says. I was, I am, I will be. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus, in fact, points back to this scripture to show that God is a living God in Matthew chapter 22. And we continue to cry out to our God because he shows us he is a saving and a rescuing God. God hears the afflictions of the Hebrews. He hears their cries. He sees their afflictions. He knows their sufferings and says, I am going to come down to deliver them. And I'm going to use you, he says to Moses. I'm going to come down and deliver them. He comes down not just in Exodus to be with Moses, but comes down as we have seen too in the person of Jesus Christ. It's here in Exodus chapter 3 with this unrivaled, personal, holy, living, saving God. He's making this announcement in this burning bush and he's making this pronouncement that Moses is to be the one. Moses is to be the rescuer. Moses is to be the one that God has called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, to lead them away from their slavery, away from their oppression. He's made this appearance. He's made this pronouncement, come, come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then, in verse 11 of chapter 3, but Moses said to God, this bush is on fire. 
Moses is, is probably knelt down barefoot in front of it. The Lord, the angel of the Lord is, is speaking to Moses. And Moses says to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who can can you believe it? The bush is on fire. The angel of the Lord is standing right there speaking. This it's an unbelievable scenario. It's incomprehensible what Moses is experiencing in this moment. God is there in a burning bush, and Moses' response as, as the, Lord, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, says, who am I? He says. Moses' first thought is all about him. We should be astounded at that. It's incredulous to us that this would all be about Moses. And yet, as we really think about it, we're not all that blown away by it. Because you and I both know the truth Moses is experiencing here as well. We look at ourselves all the time. We are wired to look at ourselves. We're wired to look inward. We're wired to take our own temperature. We are wired to look everything inside of us looks inside of us. We are wired to look at ourselves. We are so incredibly selfish in all our ways. I talk about that all the time. This is not a surprise to you. Sin and selfishness, that is the way that we are wired to want our own way. And no one has to teach us how to do that. No one has to teach you to want your own way. We're born with this innate sense inside of us that we are the most important thing, that it's all about us. And so when Moses comes to this burning bush, when Moses comes to this holy ground, when Moses, in fact, hides his face because he's afraid to look at God, this this is an unbelievable experience. And the angel of the Lord says, I've called you to bring my people, to go to Pharaoh and to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses sees all of this and his immediate response is, who am I? And looks inward. And we can't fault him for it. Because I think if you were there, or if I were there, kneeling down at the burning bush, my first response would be, who am I? And your first response would be, who am I? There's several ways that this response can be taken. And commentators try to give us the whole gamut of, of how this response might be taken. There's, there's uh, the, the prideful aspect. Some commentators might say that, that Moses actually is, is saying this. He's saying, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt? Israel out of Egypt. And he's kind of saying it like, hmm, who am I that I should be the one that gets to go? Like, of course it's me, God. Of course you would choose me. Everyone knows that I'm the perfect candidate to go. I don't really think, 
I don't really think that's Moses' response. It may have been, that may actually have been Moses' attitude earlier, 40 years ago, when Moses comes out and sees the, the Egyptian beating the Hebrew and that anger rises up in him and he kills, he rescues that Israelite, he kills the Hebrew, he, he buries him off in the desert. That might have been his attitude at that point. Back when he thought, I have the power, I have the strength, I have the ability to do this. I can rescue my people. He might have had that thought at that point. But I don't think that's his response here. When he says, who am I? He's not saying, of course, you finally come to the right place. There's also a way that you can read this and, and see that, that Moses possibly was, was genuinely humbled who am I, he would say. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? There's probably lots of other candidates. Who am I that you might choose me? Maybe he's, 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 he's had another 40 years. He's matured. He's, he's spent time in the desert. He's 80 years old. There probably is a very real possibility that, that he is saying, I'm not sure that I'm the, the guy. I, I can't believe that you've asked me to do this. He's genuinely humble in the way that he responds. It's possible that that's his response as well. But it seems most likely to me that this is the beginning, his response here in verse 11 is the beginning of a number of elaborate excuses that Moses uses to try to get out of this calling that God has given to him. He's not prideful in his response. He's not even genuinely humble. He's just trying to get out of it. Who am I? He says, Moses, Moses is using this opportunity to look for some, some encouragement, some convincing that he is, in fact, the one that's to go. That he is the one that's to be called to go. And there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons why. There's lots of encouragement that can be given to Moses about why he's the one. God, God could have said in this moment when Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of, out of Egypt? God could have said, well, Moses, let me tell you why you're the one. I, I, I rescued you through your mother. I, I had her put you in that, that basket, that ark. I had you picked up by, by Pharaoh's daughter. You were, you were brought in. You were brought out of oppression and slavery and brought into the palace. You lived as Pharaoh's son. You were trained as an Egyptian. You know all that there is to know about Egypt and all of its, all of everything that has to do in, in Egypt. You know it. You're unique in the way that you understand the Egyptian culture. But not just do you understand the Egyptian culture, but, but you also, you're, you're Hebrew, you are an Israelite, and your mother trained you early on, maybe even through your whole childhood, even as you were living in the palace, you had a relationship with your mother, and she has, has taught you all about the one true God. And you have this unique perspective about Egypt, and you have this neat, unique perspective about Israel that nobody else has. No one ever has had that kind of perspective, and no one ever will. You're the, you're the one. You have this, this spirit about you, Moses, of, of empathy. You look out for those who are suffering. You have a heart of compassion. Not only that, you, you tried it on your own, in your own strength and in your own way 40 years ago, but, but for 40 years, you've been out in the desert. You've, you've matured. You've grown. You have a wife 
You have a son, a couple of sons. You have, you've matured. You've nurtured flocks. You're living as a shepherd right now. You know what it takes to lead a group, even of sheep, but you know what it takes to lead a group to where they need to go so that they might get what they need to eat and what they need to drink. You have a heart, Moses, that is tuned to hear me, to see me, to hear my voice. There's lots of things that God could have said to Moses. Moses, I think, in this moment when he's building up these excuses, I think he, 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 he wants... He wants God to, to encourage him, to, to confirm this calling that's been placed on. Who am I? Tell me why. Tell me why you've chosen me. Tell, me. tell me why I might be the best candidate. Give me give me a boost. Give me some encouragement. Build me up. Affirm me. Because when I look inside myself, I don't see the guy. That's good for this calling. Build up my self-esteem so that I might be able to do what you've called me to do, Moses is saying. And sometimes it's good to be built up and to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. But the truth is, our worthiness, our worth, has nothing to do with our innate goodness or the value of our circumstances. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Moses was brought into the palace and lived as Pharaoh's daughter's son. It doesn't matter that he also had this unique perspective on the Hebrews and and loved the Israelite people. It doesn't matter that he has a spirit of empathy. It doesn't matter that he has a heart of compassion. It's not about who he is. It's not, he is not significant because of who he is. This has nothing to do with what Moses might have done or might have experienced or might have built. Moses wanted to be told, here's why I've called you. Here's why I think you can do it. I believe in you, Moses. You can do it, Moses. That's what he wanted to hear. Who am I, Moses says. You can do it. I believe in you. You're the guy. But what Moses hears in response, look at verse 12. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people of Egypt out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, Moses wants to hear, tell me why it's me. Tell me why I can do it. Give me the affirmation. And God says, I will be with you. This is not about you, Moses. This is not about your worth or your worthiness. Moses, this is not about your training or your readiness. Moses, this is not about anything inside of you. 
This is all about me. God said, this is not about you. This is all about me. These are my people. And this is going to be my rescue. And it's going to be about my glory. This is not about you, Moses. This is all about me. Moses, I think, as he responds, says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? Even, even this, this question that Moses asks here, his second question, first question, who am I? His second question is, if this is really about you and not about me, tell me who you are. This question even again, I think, betrays Moses's selfishness. And I think it's because if you go back, if you, if you look back previously, when, when Moses, Moses sees the Egyptian that's beating the, the, the Israelite, the Hebrew, and he kills that Egyptian and, and buries him in the sand, and the next day he comes out and there's two, two Hebrews, two Israelites that are arguing with each other, if you remember that, and Moses says, well, well don't, don't argue with each other. And what are they, what's their reply? Who made you? prince and king over us. That was their, their response to Moses. And, and Moses ran away. He fled out into Midian. He's been in the desert for 40 years now. He's been in the desert. For 40 years, for 40 years, Moses has been walking around, leading the sheep through the desert. Moses has been living his life for 40 years, and in his head, he's hearing, who made you prince and ruler over? Who made you the one that thought you could do it? Who made you? Who is the one who has called you? Even in that, we get a sense that Moses, Moses innately does not think he's the one. And again, he's looking for some encouragement. He's looking for some encouragement from God that says, you tell him that I'm the one that sent you. And God responds to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. God gives his own personal name to Moses. I am who I am. Literally, if you were to to translate it literally, it would be I be who I be. That doesn't make much sense to us, so we see it as I am who I am. But what, Mo, what God is telling to Moses, what God is telling to us, I am who I am, is all three tenses as we've looked at. God, God is saying, I have always been who I am. I have always been who I have always been. I've never changed in my history. Through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I have always been who I am now. And he's saying, I am now who I am now. No one else can define me. No one else can shape me. I am who I am right now. 
and I will be in the future who I will be in the future. God determines the future. God determines what matters in the time yet to come. This idea, this this name includes the idea that God is the God of the patriarchs in the past, that God is going to liberate his chosen people right now in the present, and that God is going to give them a promised land in the future. He always has been God. He is God right now, and he will be God in the future. I am whom I am. God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God says this is not about you, Moses, at all. This is not about who you are. This is not about what your title is. This is not about your worthiness, Moses. This is not about you. This is about me. I am has sent you. I am will be with you. Your value, your worth, your readiness, your abilities, all of those things are dependent upon me. I am has sent you. More than a thousand years later, someone else comes and points back to this exact same passage. Jesus Christ comes and says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus says. Jesus, Jesus claims the same name that God gives to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 as his own. I am, Jesus says. And for those who look to Jesus, for those who have trusted, who have placed their hope in Jesus, their identity is secure. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Our worth today, our value today, has nothing to do with what's innately inside of you. Our hope today doesn't come from anything that you might be able to accomplish or from anything that you might be able to do on your own. Your hope today, your value today comes from being children of God. For those who believe in the name, Jesus' name, I am, he gives the right to become children of God. That's our hope. In fact, that's why we celebrate communion together today. So remember that God has made a way for us to be rescued out of our own selfish, sinful nature. 
to be rescued from the things that we do on our own, in our own power and in our own strength. God has made a way for us to be rescued from that through the death and resurrection of his son, through the hope that comes from the finished work of Jesus. And so I hope this morning that as we celebrate this communion together that you might be encouraged by that hope. That you might not look inside of you to see your own worthiness or your own value, but instead you'll look to Christ. He is our hope. He is the only way for us to be saved. The worship team is going to come. The elders are going to come and help us as we have communion together this morning. There's an invitation in your bulletin. It's on the screen as well. If you can live under this invitation, we have open communion today. We want you to share with us in communion if you can live under this invitation. In just a moment, some of the elders will come and and prepare the elements, and then they will dismiss you by rows, and we will have rows that will, will come down and grab the elements out of the plates here at the table. There's two cups that are stacked together. We ask you to take them both. The bottom cup has the bread. The top cup has the juice. We invite you then to take them back to your pew and to hold them, and, and then once everyone has been served, we'll take those elements together. We want you to share with us today. If you're unable to come to the front, just let the elder that's dismissing the pews know and they'll serve you at your pew. If you're uncomfortable in coming forward this morning, we certainly understand that. We don't want to put any pressure on you today. Don't feel like you have to, but we hope that you will. We want to celebrate today, not in our worthiness, but in his. The elders will come. We're going to share in communion together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to Desperate to be rescued, 
I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Just as represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his body, his sacrifice that makes life for us possible. Take and eat and be grateful. And this represents the blood that was shed on our behalf for our sins. Take and drink and be grateful. Please stand with me for our benediction today. From 2 Thessalonians, we read this. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.